Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. This episode introduces guest speaker Marat Michaels. It originally aired April 21st, 2021. Mr. And I'm going to mispronounce his first name. Dean, you told Marat. me what it was. And Marat. Or John. Marat. All right. And um, when he shows up, John, you want to you do the honors of, 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 of saying hello? Um, it would be tell, my honor. Tell yeah, the my world. pleasure. All right. All right. So, folks, when he's here, I see um, we might have Roland. I don't know if he's joining us or he'll be in the, the background. Um, but... Um, Marat has uh, a, a great resume. I don't want to ruin it just yet. We're going to let him talk about himself. He's worked at Image. He worked for himself. Uh, Marat, the folks uh, we talked, we were talking earlier, video games. Uh, we were talking about Mortal Kombat coming up this week. And I know that you have a Mortal Kombat super tie-in that you'll probably want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, with the work that you're currently doing through your publishing house, Counterpoint Comics. Yes. Hey, that, was, that was a good introduction. Maybe one yeah. of the best I've had. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you could just take me wherever you go, and I could do the introductions. You know, yeah. I know, but then I get jealous of all the hair you still have. So I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> oh, it's thinning out back here. There's a reason why, like, I put this head part here. <laughs> Mariah, I think it's a wig. wig. You have the floor. It's not a wig. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we would love for you to. Uh, you you have full reign. Go ahead, talk about uh, your career, what you've got going on. Shamelessly promote everything you want, and um, when you run out of words, we'll hopefully have some questions for you. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> I'll shamelessly plug uh, since it's such an easy tie into what John just said. I have a uh, my company Counterpoint Comics. Um, we have a book called Nadia Nice, and we do a lot of cosplay covers. And uh, one of the things that we just uh, dropped yesterday was the flaw- what's it? Fatally Flawless set, which is a 10-set um, <clears throat> variant, a set of variants uh, with 10 cosplays of Mortal Kombat characters. Oh, cool. Um, so the artists are uh, myself, because uh, I'm the cheapest I could find. <laughs> um, um, E-Bass, Eric Basildua. Uh, Mike DeBalfo, Ryan Kincaid, Ali Garza, Alex Kotkin, a uh, young lady named Marissa Pope, um, Sajad Shah, Adalso Corona, Elias Chadzutis. I believe that's 10. So uh, that's at counterpointcomics.com. That's my cheap plug. And that's the Mortal Kombat tie-in. That's awesome. Um, they're, they're great covers. I mean, uh, the cool thing when you get like that kind of a uh, list of talent together is I, I tell everybody, nobody wanted to be an ugly kid in class. So everybody kind of brought their a game because nobody wanted to have the bad cover in the lot. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful set and uh, some of the best colorists in the industry uh, colored him. Uh, Sanjun Nivangun, who I call uh, the cheat code because he literally makes everybody look twice as good as they really are. Um, 
He's absolutely phenomenal. And Ivan Nunes is another guy who just takes whatever you do and elevates it. And uh, uh, Juan Fernandez, who colors Ken Lashley over at Marvel, um, he did a fantastic job. And uh, Gwen Bellagio, she's French. Uh, so I try to pronounce it properly. Um, she did an amazing job on Marissa's cover. So even though we're sexifying women and selling sexy chicks, uh, we got two girls doing it. So all right, <laughs> we're not yeah, bad. You're, you're There's nothing wrong with them. sexy chicks. Yep. <laughs> I don't. And uh, and Marat, uh, tell them tell them about your exclusive eleventh cover because that thing is beautiful. Like the the ten are oh. all tens. But that uh, that number um, eleven. So Mike DeBalfo, who is a huge Mortal Kombat fan, um, actually called me up and he's like, "I want to do two covers." And I said, "Mike, that kind of throws everything off. We have a set of ten, so we came up with a uh, taking his second cover and making it the hard to find chase variant, which you can only get in one of every five sets. So it's a blind pull, as I've told everybody." You might order one set and get it. You might order 10 sets and not get one. I'm literally just putting them together, throwing them in the pack, and then shipping them. So I won't know who gets what. Um, and it's uh, he did it's Mike's uh, Scorpion cosplay. Um, so it's already starting to get heat. Somebody told me they, um, uh, has, somebody has it up for 100 bucks. I was like, well, that's... wow. That's interesting because nobody's officially gotten one yet. Right. They're already trying to sell for a hundred. So, um, good luck. I mean, you know, but uh, yeah. So that Scorpion cover—it's pretty. Mike, like I said, Mike's a huge Mortal Kombat fan, so he really brought his A game. And um, I believe Elias uh, Chad Zudius with his Raiden cover, kind of—he was the first one to. Um, submit the cover and once we saw that we were like oh damn it <laughs> like whatever we were we now have to ratchet it up a little bit so um i'm super proud of it as a set um if you're into you know cheesecake uh bad girl type art um you know this is uh 10 beautiful illustrations um by some of the best uh my closest buddies in the industry are uh Sajad Shah, Adelso Corona, and Ryan Kincaid. So it's always cool to be able to work with them. And like I said, uh, Ebass, who's absolutely phenomenal. Mike, uh, everybody just just absolutely killed it. So that's that's my plug. That's my cheap plug. Perfect. Perfect. Now tell, tell us about yeah. you and your career and how you got started and whatever you want. To oh, man. Well, you and I go way back, right, buddy? Um Oh, oh my, my god, yeah. Uh, my you kid. know, uh, uh yeah, like over twenty years because um the first piece of yours that I got the uh honor and privilege to publish was on the back cover of Sniper Rock number three, because I didn't want to throw any logos on it and I was like, perfect. So yeah, I, we've known each other for a long time and you're you're a good guy. I, I've always loved to see like when you're hitting it big and you know, with your do you poo series, uh no, that's a fan favorite, and yeah, and you you got some great stuff there. Yeah, well, I'm having as much fun as I've ever had, so kind of cool to, uh, you know, uh, anybody who's followed my career and those who haven't, um, you know, being the first Image Comics rookie, <coughs> excuse me, 
Um, you know, I started off kind of in a great spot, uh, doing really well, being on a super popular book, uh, getting a lot of name recognition early on, making, uh, you know, really good uh, money for a kid that was 19, um, doing fantastic. So uh, not ever thinking there's going to be a down period. Um, and then, you know, went through the normal freelance, you know, you're up, you're down. Um, you know, to the point where my mom was like, hey, buddy, you've lived your dream. Maybe it's time to go get a real job now. Like, you know, that conversation. And I've actually, I actually thought about it probably about 10 years ago. Um, you know, I had a buddy of mine who uh, whose dad uh, runs a <clears throat> uh, airplane part refurbishing company. And, uh, you know, me and Mike had talked and. You know, he's like, all right, you know, whenever you're ready, I think you'll be good at this. You know, you know how to talk to people and I think you can make a good salesperson. So, you know, um, if you're ready to do it, let's do it. And uh, thankfully, I just couldn't because I just I, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out to do anything but this. So, um, you know, I was like, I'll stick with it. And uh, I was lucky enough to stick um, stick with it. And uh Get a few lucky breaks, and like you said, you know, uh, between Naughty and Nice and Do You Poo, we kind of had a good foundation for this little publishing company that I started, which really was never meant to be a real publishing company. It was just kind of, you know, you I had to get these books published under something, and since it was my thing, I just kind of went, ah, oh, you know, well, these both neither one of these books that kind of became the ten poles were ever meant to actually last long they were both like well if i can make a few more bucks at a convention this is great um and then they just kind of took off and you know uh naughty and nice i think we're going on nine years i believe 2013 so yeah eight years and then uh um same thing with the poo book uh, i just thought it was going to be a funny little goofy thing that i do with a couple of buddies of mine and then it took off and every time we did a cover I always thought like yeah that's cute like they'll you know they've had enough like this will be the one that people go all right we've seen it it's cool it's funny let's move on to the next thing but every time we did a new cover um you know somebody uh we'd sell out and somebody go well what about this one and I go oh sweet like I you know I enjoy doing these and they're fun um so you know, uh, just kind of grew and grew and grew till one day I was like, oh, shit, I have a real company that I have to run now. Like, you know, never really expected this to happen. So, um, you know, just blessed and thankful. And like I said, it's it's nice when you kind of start off towards the top and then kind of, I don't want to say bottom out because I've been blessed to at least make enough to pay rent my whole career. But, um, you know, to to kind of get back on the upside and be as uh, successful as I've ever been in my career towards the, the back end is really a blessing that not all of us get. So, you know. Can, would you mind walking uh, folks through kind of like your very beginnings? I mean, obviously, you know, we mentioned brigade, um, you know, your yeah. beginnings, opportunities that you had, um, things that you did, uh, maybe things that you wish you did. Um, but you're like, you you went left instead of right or vice versa? Oh, I mean, uh, you know this, John. Exactly. What does a rookie mean? What do you mean by the, yeah. a rookie? 
that was, those of you so that so may be out there that don't know. So you had the image founders, right? Jim mm-hmm. Lee, uh, Todd McFarland, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Wills Potashio, um, Jim Valentino, and Eric Larson. I was the first guy outside of those seven guys to do a book. So, and it was my first real job. Um, you know, I've had a few gigs before then, um, but they were either ghost jobs or designing some stuff. Uh, for other companies. So I was literally the first non-founder to have a book come out, which is just insane when you're thinking you're like 19, completely wet behind the ears. And, you know, here you are. I've uh, I've told this story a couple of times. Me and Norm Rapman, who was the inker on Brigade, um, the day Brigade came out, we were driving to do a store signing and we get to the store and there's like 200 people standing outside in a line around the block and me and norm look at each other and we're like oh we wonder who else is signing here because <laughs> it never even dawned on us that it could possibly be for us because we're like we're two unknowns um but that's just how hot image comics was um and we came into the back of the store and we asked the store owner we're like who else is here who, who are all these people here for and he just started laughing at us and um so yeah, that's that's the first a rookie was the first guy outside of uh, you know the seven founders to um, have a book, and I got into image. Uh, it just completely like right place, right time. When I was twelve years old, I went to a local comic convention in Southern California, and I happened to meet a sixteen-year-old uh, Rob Liefeld, and uh, him and I kind of. Started talking a little bit, you know, um, didn't get super close, but as the years progressed and we'd see each other at a few shows, we got closer and closer. Uh, he wound up, uh, you know, getting uh, professional work and he got a studio with Jim Valentino. Um, and they started inviting me and another buddy of, of mine up to the studio to kind of learn us, you know, and uh, it was very cool for two of you guys who wanted to break into the industry to be able to go sit down with guys that are obviously Jim Valentino was, I believe uh, starting on guardians of the galaxy and Rob was uh, finishing up Hawk and Dove and starting um, on uh, his Marvel stuff. And so uh, me and Rob really kind of became buds. And when I graduated high school, he was like, I need an assistant. Do you want the job? And it, uh, it, it, an assistant's job doesn't pay well. Ask any assistant. Um, oh, so it wasn't know. a really, <laughs> so it wasn't a really well-paying job, but you know, uh, I took it. I drove uh, from Los Angeles to Orange County four days a week. Um, spent probably three four hours on the road. Uh, did my duty as an assistant, then went and worked as a video clerk at night uh, just to make sure I can pay my car note and my insurance and stuff. But you know, I, I knew it was like a great opportunity to get my foot into the door. And, you know, we got to the point where Bob Harris, who was Rob's editor on New Mutants and X-Force, you know, I talked to him more than Rob did because, you know, if Rob was behind on deadlines or he didn't want to talk to Bob. It was always, right, answer the phone. So Bob pages are on the way, you know. So, um, you know, I, I struck up a friendship with uh, Bob. I was able to go visit the Marvel offices, which – Again, I was, you know, 18 years old, fresh out of high school. Um, so 
those are amazing opportunities for a comic book fan. Um, you know, I went when Rob shot his Levi's commercial, I hung out with Spike Lee on set and stuff like that. You know, it was just a phenomenal opportunity. And, you know, then uh, when they were starting to uh, put image together, I was like, hey, you want to draw this book for me? I think you're ready. And I jumped at it and um, <clears throat> there was no page rate. It was basically like, look, if I make money, you're going to make money. But if this book, you know, bombs, then, you know, you got some experience and you got a book published, and, um, which I jumped at, you know, I was like, I've always understood. Um, for me personally, I think opportunities are are bigger than paychecks. I think paychecks come and I understand we all need to pay our bills and we all want to make money. Um, I'm definitely a guy who enjoys being uh, successful and, you know, having financial security. So I never bemoan that when people are after, you know, the paycheck. But I always just think sometimes opportunities uh, take you farther a lot more. I'm, I'm a big believer there's short money and there's long money. And short money is always easier and always feels better. Um, but a lot of times long money is way better. Um, and so I jumped at the opportunity and uh, that first paycheck for a 19 year old kid was a holy cow moment for my mom. Mm -hmm. And I, no. had, I brought that home and she was like, is this for the year? And I was like, no, this is for one book, mom. And she was like, you, you're 19 years old. 19 year olds get these kind of checks. I was like, I know. Um, what, what are you doing? What are you, what are you really doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, she already had a few questions. Me and Rob always laugh about this because Rob was, you know, four years my senior. So if I'm 19, he's 23 or going on 23. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I come home one day. I'm still living with my parents at the time. And. You know, I come home and I start packing and my mom was like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm going to New York with Rob. And she was like, what? You guys are going to New York? I was like, yeah, you know, Rob is shooting this commercial. We're going to go visit Marvel. And she sits me down and she was like, you know, I love you and I don't care. I never <laughs> thought you were. And it's okay if you are. But are you gay? Is Rob your mother? And we just, like, I started laughing. And when I told Rob... We both just couldn't, you know, stop laughing. But I can see how to a mother, all of a sudden, like your your kid is going off with another young man, you know, on a getaway trip or two to New York City, you know. So, so there, was, there was some explaining I had to do during times, but you know, uh I got I got I was blessed with uh I believe it's X Force number five. It was a blessing and a curse because um, I penciled have that issue um, over Rob's layouts, and then Rob came in and did the inks. And I was supposed to get full credit. Uh, I saw, you know, at that time, everything was done by fax. I saw the fax Rob sent over to uh, Bob Harris, where he said, this is another guy named Brian Murray, also helped pencil the other half of the book. And mm -hmm. Rob was like, this way the credit should read. And Bob was like, no problem. And I talked to Bob. I was like, my name's in the book. And Bob was like, yeah, your name's in the book. It's like, sweet. And at that time, New Comics came out on Friday. And I told all my friends, <laughs> I've made it. I made the big time. I penciled half of X-Force 5. My name's in the credits. Everybody's like, sure, sure, buddy, sure. And I was like, you'll see. You'll see this Friday. And Friday comes, and I'm at the store. 
doors open. I run in. I pick up that book. And like as sad as I think I've ever been to that point. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Like not only, uh, you know, is my name not in it, uh, but like now I got to hear it from all these guys who already said I was full of shit. <laughs> and, and now I look like I am. But the royalty check from that, which Rob was, Rob was very, um, very happy to share in all the success he was having from the financial standpoint. And I think I did it was about 10 pages. And the royalty check for that, and again, this is probably about six months out of, out of high school when I'm working on this. Maybe maybe nine. Um, it completely like took me out of debt because I had to deal with my parents. You got one year to make it in this business, or you have to move out the house. Because my mom was like, "You're not going to be making a hundred bucks a week, you know." And tell me this is your career. Like, um, it's like you're going to junior college because Lord knows my grades weren't good enough for any real college. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that check kind of quieted her for a little bit and then the brigade check she was like all right i'm out (laughs) i trust you so i've been blessed from early on but you know when the mid-90s came and um i also goofed around for a couple of years um in the mid-90s i kind of had my college years a little later um you know when you look at uh, your yearly income and a whole zero is missing you're like oh yeah that's that's not what I ever expected, you know, three, four years into the business. Um, so, you know, I did that and then I got into, uh, I did some independent stuff. Um, I did uh, a couple of books at Image Comics on my own towards the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then it was just kind of, I did a bunch of, you know, I started my own uh, graphic design company for a while and we were doing like, club flyers and menus and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I just, but I couldn't keep my toe out of the comic book world. Like that's, that's where my love is. That's where my passion is. That's where I feel most comfortable. And, um, you know, uh, there was ups and downs, you know, I had a little run on Deadpool. That was nice. Then I did Grifter over at DC and, um, it was cool, but like it was kind of eye-opening how much the industry changed. I did a uh, did a four or five issue run on Grifter, and uh, you know this is during the New Fifty Two, and uh, I was at a convention and a guy walks up to me. He's like, "Oh, Ronald Michaels, I remember you from you know the early Image days." I was like, "Yeah, that's me." And um, you know, what are you doing now? And I'm like, "Oh, I'm doing Grifter." You know, and I thought the guy would know because the new 52 was such a big deal. And I was like, oh, is, is Wildstorm still publishing Grifter? And I was like, this guy had no idea that Wildstorm was no longer at Image. And um, like none of that stuff. But it was it was eye opening in a good way. And also, you know, I knew there was a glass ceiling at DC f- for me. Like I was going to I was going to make you know, I'll make no qualms about it. I was going to make about four thousand forty five hundred dollars a month if I was on a monthly book and that was my glass ceiling and maybe I can pick up a few commissions on the side, but when you're on a monthly, you don't really have a lot of time for that. And maybe I can do a convention or two. And I was just like, you know what, I'll get on the con circuit and see that was starting to really heat up. And um, 
I was like, I'll get on the con circuit and see what I can do there. And, you know, once I, I mean, the first convention I did, I remember pulling up and paying $12 for parking and going, damn it. Now I have to make 12 bucks just to break even. (laughs) And, you know, and I made like, I think like $300 that weekend because I was so like, I didn't know what product to have and um, all that kind of stuff. Because I hadn't. I'd only done conventions pretty much as a guest at that point, or just kind of come hang out, you know, have fun. Um, see a few people, maybe somebody like John would walk up and they'd ask for a commission. Um, but outside of that, I've never done them as specifically to make money, you know, as part of my uh, income. And, uh, you know, so there was a little bit of, you know, trial and error, but, you know, 300 turned into 600, then turned into like, making 800 a couple of shows. And I was like, all right, you know, if I do three or four shows a month, I'm starting to get close to DC, but it's not taking up 14 hour days. I can actually have some me time. And then, you know, I remember I broke a thousand at one show and I was like, Oh my God, you can make a thousand dollars at a convention. Like, Holy cow. Um, and then it just grew from there. And like I said, the book started taking off and here I am, you know? So, very feel very blessed. That's awesome. I don't I don't want to jump in. I I know John John I think John had some other questions and uh stuff to say. So John thoughts? Questions? Um not so much questions. Uh, well yeah thoughts, you know, um with uh going back to the X Force issue, Marat. Because you know, I, until I met Terry, you know, we have a mutual friend, Terry, that, you know, is much more Marat's friend. Uh, I get to see him at cons from time to time. Until I met Terry, I thought I was, like, the biggest Rob fan in, like, the world. Then I met Terry, and he totally outclassed me on that. Um, but when that issue of X-Force dropped, I knew that wasn't all Rob art. And I'm like, this looks different. And then when I saw your stuff with Brigade, I'm like, that's the guy, you know? So you mentioned about the credits not being in there. Um kind of cool to be able to see your, your stuff. Sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. Yeah. I didn't get that. Before I realized I was from that issue recently. Hold on one second. All yeah. right, let me see if I kill video. Does that do any better? You sound a little clear. Um, I'm good. Yeah, I can hear you. I okay, can hear cool. All right, at least I'll go for the sound for now. But, uh, yeah, I was saying um, some of the pages came up for our auction on Heritage Auctions, so it was kind of cool to see the black and white line art on that. Uh, you know, it's it's so cool to see. And I remember seeing your name in Spawn 6, I want to say, because you had a pinup in there, too. And I'm yep. like, wow, this guy is great. And, it, yeah, and it's really awesome as a fan and as a creator when you get to meet some of your heroes like you, you know, and realize that they're cool people, not just awesome artists. So, you know, that's, that's always been very, very cool. I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I'm like that with George Perez. I've, uh, George Perez is one of my all time favorite artists. And, uh, I've kind of gotten to be buddies with Joe on the, uh, Joe George on the convention circuit. And, um, I'm always, uh, I was always uh, just amazed by how great he is to his fans and um, the feeling that I got every time I got to see George is kind of, I mean, look, first of all, I 
you know, live by rule. Don't be a dick. Um, you know, uh, just treat people nicely and normally um, in general. Um, and then I'm relatively happy. I've gotten to be a kid my whole life. I've gotten to do what I wanted to do, you know, most of my career. Um, so in general, I'm in, you know, pretty good spirits. But also, you know, I, I realized um, that the same way I get giddy when I see George, you know, it's the experience of meeting your hero or meeting somebody whose work you really like um, and appreciate and who you've supported, whether it's been financially or emotionally by, you know, enjoying their work so much and getting attached to it. Um, and having that person be cool just adds to the experience. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that that's, the uh, you know, um, the reaction you have and feelings that you walked away with. I mean, you met me when I was super shy, so I was a lot more introverted. Yes. So yeah, yeah, you uh, you definitely that can come definitely off. come into your own. <laughs> yeah, so and that can come off as you know being aloof or disinterested. But it, honestly, you know, when I started conventions, even um, I kind of sat there, and as people walked by, I you know be like, well, if you know, they know who I am and they want some from me. They'll walk up to my table until one day I realized, you know, that person was a lot more intimidated in the aisle looking at anybody sitting at a table than the person at the table looking at anybody walking in the aisle. Like right. you're the special one, you know, um, to somebody. So I, I just kind of started forcing myself to, make them feel more comfortable by saying hi first and asking how you're doing. Cause again, it was very unnatural for me. Now it's, you know, good luck shutting me up. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, that's, uh, and I do, I want everybody to walk away. Um, you know, I've, I've had, ex I've had very pleasant experiences with a lot of people. I've had some crappy experiences with some creators and I've just walked away being on just a person you just get to do something that we all love like you're not special like you know um i've walked down the street with tons of guys that are mega stars in the industry and nobody knows who they are once they walk out of that convention center there's only been two guys in my life that people have recognized on the street and uh one of them created the walking dead and the other one created deadpool so <laughs> and and they both have high profile like you know they're Hollywood premieres, they're on TV, yeah. you know, people know who they are. But outside of those two guys, you know, I've, I've been on the street with, you know, uh, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. And if it's not a comic fan, they don't know who those guys are. And so, and those guys aren't the guys I'm talking about with the bad experiences. Um, but, <clears throat> um, you know, it's, it's just like, say thanks, say things that you get to do this for a living you know, and, and make people feel good about meeting you and, you know, walk away with a good experience and, you know, try to, and, and me and George have discussed this because I've always told him how much I appreciate how he, he acts and treats his fans. And he's always kind of told me like, you know, you should, that's the way you should be. And he's seen me at shows and he's complimented me. He's like, people walk away from your table and they have smiles on their faces. And also, you know, I'm like everybody else. You're an ass, but you do work that I like. 
I'll buy your product, but I'll buy it like I want it. But, you know, if you're a cool person and I like your work, I'm like, here, take my money. Like, I want to support you. I I want this awesome work that you're producing. But I'm also glad that this money is going to you as opposed to some douchebag who, you know, (laughs) acts like he's, you know, way more special than he is. So um, I want I want everybody walking away from my table, you know, to be as happy as possible or from meeting me, you know, um, it's a job and you know sometimes people get angry like i can't believe you know you charge this much for this book or this is how much your commissions are or i can't believe there's a signature fee whatever people get agitated by but overall i think you know um if you come hang out you know you're gonna walk away being being pretty happy with the experience and that's that's i feel that's part of your job you know um Keeping on the convention with, with uh, theme. Oh. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I was going to say, keeping on the convention theme. Um, what what's some advice do you have, for, like etiquette wise, for people showing up at at tables from for for fans? I mean, what's what's a great way to say to to introduce themselves and go go ahead. You know, it's it's the same way. Like, you know, I'll I'll walk up to other creators and you know say hi. And you know, um, the the one thing I I do want you know fans should know is just because you interact with somebody online doesn't mean they automatically know you, oh. person. Because <laughs> first of all, I've had people who like walk up and go, "I'm Bob," and I'm like, "Okay," and then he goes, "You know." I'm Shadow Swift online. I'm like, oh, how the hell would I know what your real name is? You're Shadow Swift. And I don't know what you look like because you have, you know, some symbol as your as your icon. So it's like that's something that a lot of fans, and I run into this a lot, and I know a lot of my buddies in the industry do. Like, And then, like, if you don't know who they are, some get offended. And it's like, dude, I, you don't use your real name. You don't have a real picture. You know, you have a freaking picture of Superman as your, you know, as your avatar, like, how am I supposed to know who you are? Um, so that's one thing. Like, realize that we don't always know who you are. Right. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, like, can't be offended, you know. So, um, sometimes, you know, uh, you, you meet so many people, you don't remember everybody specifically. I've had people tell me that, like, oh, yeah, I met you, like, 10 years ago. Well, met, you know, thousands of people, like, not that I'm not trying to remember everybody and, you know, try to interact with everybody. But, you know, you, you met, you know, one-tenth the people I've met in that time. So, um, and and I'm hearing the totem pole. There's some guys that meet, you know, so many more fans than I do. So <laughs> that's, that's definitely something that, um, you know, fans should think about. And then you should add it simple stuff our moms or dads or grandmas taught us like you know just be cordial and respectful and you know that's just normal like again don't be a doof (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh we we talked a couple weeks ago we had a long uh our topic was professionalism and even if the person you're interacting with you don't you don't care for that person do not burn a bridge don't be a jackass uh i think that's some of the best advice you can give, especially in an industry like this, where, I mean, the names you've just rattled off, you've worked on a project for a little while, and then that person's worked on that project with somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. And there's not very many degrees of separation um, in this industry. 
where if you are, you become that guy, you're going to be that guy and that can be a, a career killer. Yeah. I, so here's a funny story. I won't name names, but he was one of my studio mates and he was on the tour with Joe Casada when Joe Casada was working for Valiant and uh, they got into a little playful, but you know, um, a little kind of, I don't want to say argument, but they weren't on the greatest terms coming out of that tour. And, uh, you know, and five years later, maybe six years later, whatever it was, El Quesada is the editor-in-chief at Marvel. Yeah. Needless to say, that buddy did not get work there. Yeah. Um, when Joe was there. So my whole thing was like, you never know. Like, you never know the person you're, you know, uh, burning a bridge with or pissing off. What they're going to be, you know, a couple of years from now. They might be the guy that can, you know, be your boss or give you uh, the job you want. Um, and again, it goes back to just act right. But, you know, who who would have thought in 1994 that Joe Casada would be running Marvel in 2003 or whatever the year he took over was? I can right. tell you, nobody, yeah. <laughs> including Joe. Yeah. Joe, you know, <laughs> never thought that. Um, um, so Jimmy Pomayali did. did. That's who. Yeah. His buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if he knew, he should play on the next 10 Super Bowls and become a bazillionaire <laughs> if, if his prognostication skills are that good. So, so what's a um, – we can keep talking, but what, what's the biggest piece of advice you can give to anybody wanting to get into the industry? Um. Well, I mean, everybody says this, but, you know, when you're getting your work critiqued, um, listen to what they're saying. Um, some people have better delivery than others. Um, I was 16 years old the first time I showed my portfolio, and I thought I was about to get hired in my mind. Yeah. I was ready for the big time, and Ralph uh, Macchio, who was the editor at Marvel, Man, I had to fight back my tears. Like, as a 16-year-old kid, you talk about somebody just, you know, his delivery was rough. Everything he said was true. There was great lessons in it. But, man, his delivery was rough. And um, Brian Stelfries, who was sitting right next to him, this was San Diego Comic-Con, um, saw that this 16-year-old kid was about to cry. He pulled me aside, and he asked to see my portfolio, and he gave me some really – um, you know, great advice, and but he was a lot more complimentary, and his delivery was a lot nicer and softer. Um, and, and while one probably made me want to throw my portfolio and pencils into the trash, um, the other one kind of inspired me to just get better. Um, so, but both had great points. Um, you have to have tough skin. Yeah, you have to have tough skin because even if you make it, I mean, look, we'll we'll talk about Rob, like. I mean, that guy has had a career that most comic creators would die for. There's very few, whether you like or don't like his work, that have been as successful as he has and have reached the levels he has. But look at how much crap people talk about him. And, you know, and it's one of those things where he has tough skin um, and he doesn't let it get to him. But I'm like, 
So no matter what level you achieve, somebody somewhere, especially now with the internet where everybody's very tough behind a keyboard, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's easy to say whatever you want to say and, um, you know, sit back and chuckle with your buddies and think you're cool. And it's like, yeah, you know, um, cool. You're great. You're funny. You made a joke. Ha. <laughs> um, yeah, my work sucks. You know, I mean, I'm always like, well, I'm going to, I create work for my fans. If they like it, that's who it's there for. Those that don't like it, don't like it. I don't like everything. I went to the comic book store, New Comic Book Day today, and I didn't buy a book because nothing spoke to me. You know, it doesn't mean all that stuff sucks. It just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, so um, so as somebody breaking in, realize there's going to be moments where people are going to say some really hateful stuff towards you and you just kind of have to go okay cool um so you got to be ready for that listen to that advice none of us are ever as good as we think we are um so you can always stand to improve i i feel like i'm getting better all the time um that's because i'm not satisfied with my work i don't you know i uh i always i always think um, I got to level up and be better and um, get to the next level. And, you know, um, that's always, you know, always kind of um, keep that drive going. Always understand you can improve whatever it is that you do. You're always, there's always room, um, you know. And then, uh, again, like I said earlier, sometimes, you know, opportunities are, are bigger than paychecks, Um and again, I, I get it. Uh, we all have bills. But like I told you guys, I would drive, you know, 90 minutes to two hours, depending on traffic. Uh, one way, do my day with Rob uh, at about six. I would drive home and do, uh, you know, an eight to 12 shift at a video store to make sure I can pay my bills. Yeah. But I knew that opportunity was too good to pass up. Yeah. My foot in the door was better than any paycheck I can make. And, 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 you know, and then again, when you get your foot in the door, it's also about career management. Um, you know, not all jobs are good jobs. Um, you know, I've learned, I've learned that the hard way. I've taken on some jobs where I've been like, it was a bad choice. I made a bad decision. Um, you know, you have to, you have to be careful at how you manage your career and, and then just find your place you know, um, look, when I was a kid, I didn't want to draw hot chicks or funny animals because I like drawing guys, you know, punching each other. That was what I like. You know, I was I grew up on the X-Men and Teen Titans and, um, you know, John Byrne, George Perez, you know, books with lots of action and power. And that's what, you know, kind of gravitated. I gravitated towards and um, I didn't like funny drawing funny animals and I didn't like drawing girls because I wasn't good at it. And like now it's pretty much what I do all the time. I'm either John Poo or Nadia Nice or some, you know, some along those lines. And that's because I just kind of went, you know what, instead of fighting against the current, this is what people want from me. This is where I fit in right now. And this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'll, I'll have time to do the other stuff down the line when the right opportunity comes, you know, comes along. And, you know, now I'm in a good position where I'm like, okay, well, you know, the poo stuff and the naughty and nice stuff. Um, 
that kind of helps pay the bills. So I can put out a couple of projects that are more passion projects and hope they succeed and hope people gravitate towards them. But I'm in a good position where even if they fail, um, I can take that failure, you know, from a business standpoint and, you know, not put my family in any kind of financial jeopardy. Um, but that wasn't always the case. And I just, I realized, you know, what, what people want from me, what, what people are looking for me to give them. And I just decided I'm going to cater to my base and give them what they want, you know, and I enjoy doing it now. So that, that helps too. So uh, next, next question, uh, what advice now, I know you're not always able to pick the projects you like, but when you're able to pick collaboration with a writer and I'm, I'm a writer, I, I said, I can't draw at all. Um, what I don't mean necessarily genre or story. I know that's important, but what else are you looking for when you're looking when someone wants to collaborate, or what would you be looking for in that, in that collaboration? I mean, first of all, to me, it's like you know, comic book is uh, comic books are languages, and there's different languages in the genre. Um, you know, whoever I work with, um, you know, him and I should be speaking the same language. When we when we start vibing, if he wants to tell a story where it's two guys walking down the street, you know, having an in-depth conversation for 20 pages. Uh, and and there's guys who want to do that, guys who are excellent at that, you know, uh, the interaction, character development, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's artists who draw that phenomenon, you know, they draw great, you know, backgrounds, they, they're great at settings and. Um, you know, drawing average people, that's not my cup of tea. So I want a writer who's going to let me flex what I do well and, you know, um, and kind of go like, and usually it's like if I go, hey, you know, what's your favorite comic as a kid? And they go, oh, you know, I loved, you know, Watchmen, which I love as a fan. Um, I go, yeah, that's probably what your style is geared towards, and that's not what I'm good at or what I want to do, you know? Brilliant. It's just not what I want to do or what I'm going to be, you know, um, jazzed by. Or if he goes, oh, I love, you know, whatever it is, uh, Jim Lee's run on the X-Men or, you know, George Perez on Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman. Like, I'm like, you want to create the kind of comic books I want to be part of. So that's, to me, when I look for anybody to collaborate, that's that's the thing. You have to speak the same language. It's you know, it's kind of like styles. When I worked on Grifter, um, the anchor that was on the book, who was very talented, but his style didn't mesh with mine at all. And I knew that from the get go. The first couple of pages, I was like, "This is this is just not working." Like he doesn't he doesn't speak my language. The lines I'm putting down, he's you know. Um, defining them in a way that I never meant for them to be defined. I talked to my editor and I was like, you know, um, maybe we get another anchor. I think the book would be better. And, you know, he's like, look, you know, this book's, uh, you're just finishing off the run. It's four issues. Um, you know, we already know the book is canceled. Um, you know, so I don't want to, you know, take a job away from that guy. And I understood that, you know, um, from a personal standpoint, but from a creative standpoint, I was like, well, you know, I have a buddy of mine who's working, you know, at DC. So can we get him just to ink a couple of the really good pages on the last issue? 
And my editor was like, you know, you've been a good hand. You've hit your deadlines. You've dealt with all the crap that, you know, has come with this because there was a lot of turmoil at DC at the time. And so the two pages, a guy named Jaime Mendoza inked in the last issue. Um, Jaime, who was a former Extreme Studios buddy of mine over at Image Comics, and he had inked a lot of, you know, uh, um, a lot of stuff over at DC and Marvel. So Jaime inks these two pages. And I get a call from my editor and those pages came in and they were colored up. And he goes, hey, man, I think you're doing your best stuff on this last issue. These two pages are phenomenal. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, no, this is the quality of work I have been. It's just a guy who understood my comic book language. We spoke the same language and he can pull it off. and you're seeing the results. So going back to the writer, it's the yeah. same thing, you know. The writer, either either the writer has to write for his artist or get the artist that fits what he's writing. Um, and and you see all the all the best, you know, all the best tandems, you know. Uh, if you put, you know, Jim Lee on Watchmen, it wouldn't have worked. Right. As as phenomenal as Jim is, it wouldn't have worked. Because he couldn't pull off what Dave Gibbons pulled off. Very few could. Um, it was a perfect mesh of styles. Alan's writing and Dave Gibbons' art um, worked together. It was perfect. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't think anybody would argue how phenomenally good Jim Lee is as a comic artist. Um, even in a say he wouldn't have pulled off Watchmen. It would not be as revered. We wouldn't look at it the same way. Again, two different styles. Um, but you put Chris Claremont and John Byrne together, and it's magic. You put George and Marv, it's magic. Um, so, again, that's that's the thing, you know. Definitely styles that mesh. Uh, we also and, have a question from the Facebook chat. Uh, if I can interject, okay. Scott. Uh, this one, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you, Wubba. Uh, this is from a guy named Wubba. Um, who were some of the guys who inspired you during the Extreme Studios days? Um, well, I was a huge Mark Silvestri fan. I was probably like, I was an 80s kid. So the guys who I really was into were the same guys that were influencing Rob and Todd and Eric and, you know, Jim. Um, and as much as I loved, you know, their work, um, I... It, I didn't have that passion for it like I had for John Byrne and Art Adams and George Perez. So, but Mark was a guy who I loved way before I even started working as Rob's assistant. So he was kind of a little older than the rest of them as far as his time in the industry. And um, his work just spoke to me. So Mark was the guy I idolized. Um, You know, I looked, you know, I looked and was influenced by Jim and Bob. It's obvious. And, you know, those Brigade issues and a lot of my early image work. Um, but Mark was the guy that was like, when he did something, I was like, that's like the greatest thing ever, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, some of the fellow studio guys that we had, guys like Chappie Ape and Jeff Matsuda, and, um, you know, uh, it, it was cool because we all were influenced by everything around us. Um, so it's like you'd come in and Jeff was doing like little gleams and you'd go, oh, I love the way Jeff does gleams. I, I want to put that in my work. And 
And but that was everybody. Like all of a sudden, you know, Rob is doing Matsuda Gleams and I'm doing Matsuda Gleams and and Frege and Chap were all doing these, you know, these gleams that Jeff was, you know, really great at, or like, you know, Stephen Plaid did these bullet holes, and then all of a sudden those Plaid bullet holes were on everything, you know. Um, not only in our studio, you can see it at Wildstorm and Top Cow. So it was cool to see, um, you know, you were pulling from everybody because everybody kind of wanted, you know, all the cool stuff in their work. And, um, you know, it went through the filter. You kind of look back and I go, holy crap. Like, I loved Simon Bisley, so I loved how big the arms were and how small the heads were. But I was like, at some point, somebody should have told me, like, these heads are way too small and these arms are way too big. Like, like back then, I thought it was just really stylized, and clearly it is. But I was like, man, you know, like, sometimes you have to let the buck and bronco buck. But sometimes you have to, like, bring them in a little bit and go, oh, like. You know, um, so I, you know, uh, we were influenced by each other, by the other studios. There was definitely like a, it became a lot more friendlier in the beginning, though. It was like almost like, you know, game fights without, with pencils. Like, you know, Extreme is going to take down Wildstorm. Wildstorm's taking down Extreme. Top Cow's taking them both down. Like, um, that was kind of our attitude, you know, because the, you know, the the studio heads, Rob, uh, Jim, um, Todd didn't really have a studio system, but Rob, Jim, Mark, uh, they were so competitive. It, it just kind of, you know, we were like, well, we're supposed to be as competitive with those guys, you know. Um, about two years in, I became more social with a lot of the guys. We started, you know, playing some sports together. And, you know, you go like, we're all kind of the same. We're all just, you know. 20-something comic book fans who are on this amazing ride. You know, we just happen to be in different boxcars. We're all on the same train. Um, and we, you know, I became buddies with a lot of the guys. And um, even even like, you know, like me and Brett Booth, because we were kind of some of the early on studio guys. Me and Brett, and Brett's a super quiet guy. So while I've gotten out of my shell, Brett still hasn't. He's very introverted. And um, you know, two introverted guys never talk. <laughs> probably about four or five years ago through Norm Rapman, um, we were hanging out after a convention in Norm's hotel room doing commissions. And Brett and I started talking. And I was like, holy crap. Like, when I was telling talking about, you know, styles and likes, like, we were talking about the exact same stuff. And we had the exact same kind of passion for it. And we liked um, the exact same things and the exact same art and the exact same artists. And I was like, holy crap, like, we should have been talking like this for 20 years, you know? <laughs> when, you know, when I was sitting there and drawing Brigade and Brett was doing, uh, was it Wild Guard or whatever his first book, you know, um, at DC was, you know, we should have been on the phone just kind of going back and forth and inspiring each other and having a friendly rivalry and, um uh, you know, we uh, we lost probably twenty years before we found out. Hey, we kind of liked each other. Like we never, we never did like each other really. Um, so that was that was definitely uh, you know a fun thing to discover uh, and make friends with guys who in the beginning you were like, well, 
I wanted the wrong color, so you can't be there, but you know. Um, so hey, we're getting towards the end of our, our show here, and uh, I, I don't want to cut you short. Um, but before we go, uh, thoughts on the future of the industry of the, the big guys and the little guys? And if I don't know if you, you have thoughts on that matter, if you've given it thought, what, what do you, what do you uh, think? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, so I think it's a fantastic time for um, independent creators. Um, you know, things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo are a fantastic way for you to basically reach your fans directly. Um, I think the market's way uh, more open to it now, um, especially with Marvel and DC being more driven by studio decisions than comic book decisions. I think it's turned off a lot of fans. I think a lot of us buy stuff. I go pick up books and I go, ah, it's the new Batman book. I should buy that. I, I like I like Batman. Batman's a great book, but just using that as an example. There's some books I think I buy out of habit as much as anything because I haven't enjoyed them for years. Um, I think that's a problem, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not I'm not concerned about you know um, Marvel and DC, but meeting more and more fans. There's a lot of them, and maybe I'm obviously meeting the ones who are kind of over the Marvel and DC and the you know um, stuff, and they are more excited by the indies. So I'm obviously kind of the, you know, Marvel Zombie and the DC Fanatic, you know, they're still there. I, just, I don't meet those guys. But I tend to see more and more, um, you know, people like the indie stuff. And, um, you know, we just did uh, not a nice Kickstarter, and it was the highest Kickstarter we've ever done by not only, um, you know, was it about 30000 more than our previous one, but we also probably exceeded by 300, you know, backers. So you go from a high of whatever it was, 405 or something, to being almost at 800. You know, um, you go like, there's definitely the market is growing. It's not just me. I see it with everybody, all my contemporaries, all the guys who are kind of in the same circle. Everybody's doing better. Um, you know, I, uh, people might not like it, but, you know, we kind of live in a variant uh, cover world right now. And I think part of that is, is because, um, I've said this a couple of times. I don't think there's ever been more talented illustrators in the industry than there are right now and fewer good comic book artists. Um, you know, they they can they, there's a difference. Um drawing something great is is phenomenal, you know, but um you know, uh for me personally and you guys could all be different um you know, if somebody draws a fantastic city with every little detail, it's stunning. But I can look at a photograph, you know. What I can't look at a photograph of is, you know, freaking the flash, you know, moving at super speed, you know, tackling Captain Cold or whatever. You know, I can't see that. You can't give me a photograph of that. Yeah, you can, you can give me a still from a movie, but, you know, that's the that's the thing, um, you know, I'll never, I'll never see Galactus coming to Earth with Silver Surfer <laughs> by his side in a photograph. But you know, somebody drawing that spectacularly and connecting and giving me cool line art to look at. You know, photorealism. I, I'm not spectacularly good at it, so I appreciate it when I see it and I'm inspired and impressed by it. But 
comics are supposed to make you feel something. Um, and if, if you don't have something beyond the good illustration that connects with people, you're not speaking the comic book language. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of people who don't understand um, how to speak the comic book language. Um, and so you kind of get comics that are a little stale or, you know, also digital. Um, as phenomenal as an iPad is or, you know, Surface Pro or whatever, and, and I use those tools. Um, when you go digital, you can only get so much style out of it. So you see a lot of guys who kind of have the same kind of line quality and have a similar style, and it's because they're all working on this, you know, piece of equipment that only allows you to do so much. Um, so I think traditionally, you know, uh, you can give 20 guys a nib, you know, and, and some ink, and they'll you'll have 20 completely different lines. That's why guys like Scott Williams or Terry Austin or Klaus Jansen stand out because they use the same type of tools, but it's a completely different look, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I think variant covers, um, they, they, they speak to us. I think a lot of us as comic fans, we like, you know, the hunt like, Oh, I don't have that issue. I want that. I want that in my collection. Um, you know, and a lot of times the covers are the thing, I mean, look, I, and grading's part of it. I'm, you know, I go out and I get the issues and I love my, you know, slabs and my high grades. And um, I'll never open those up. You know, I have stacks. You can kind of see it a little bit behind me. You know, I have trades and trades and trades and trades and I have more in storage and in my garage and stuff. Um, I look at those all the time. You know, I crack those open and I have my reader copies, but you know, I love having my slabs that are encased, and I know it's a 9.2 or 9.6 or 5.0, whatever it is. And I go, I got it. It's secure. You know, it's in my collection. And that's, you know, variant covers speak that language. And, um, you know, so I know I know a lot of the old school are like, it's going to ruin the industry. And I'm like, it's what's keeping the industry afloat. Like, you know, um, because a lot of guys, like, we're not getting young fans. You know, they're trickling in. It's guys like us. It's guys who, what I see a lot more, and even more so now during the pandemic, is guys who were into comics, and then they kind of had to let it go. They went to college, or they got married, and they had kids. They had to focus on their career. You know, they couldn't take the money to spend on books. The baby needed diapers. Then you have the college fund, so on and so forth. Well, now they're in their late 40s, mid 40s, 50s, and they kind of want to, it's like a, comic book midlife crisis yeah. <laughs> it's you know and it's cool like hey i started collecting slabs about five six years ago and you know i was like i'm just gonna get three or four nine eights of my favorite character <laughs> that didn't quite work out um you know but but like i don't understand like why you would put anything down that drives money back into the industry we love like that's that's cool you don't like variant covers don't buy him. Go buy your, you know, base book, you know, and be happy with it. But don't worry about what I'm spending my money on. You think, you know, slabs are ridiculous. You don't understand why somebody would take their book and put it in a plastic case. Cool. Don't do it. Right. You no. Know? Don't worry about how I spend my money. And don't worry about how, you know, John spends his money or anybody else. Like, 
you know, just be happy that that's coming back into our industry and that's allowing the industry to thrive. And if it thrives, and what you like is going to continue to be published. You know, we didn't have we didn't have all these things in the early 2000s. And I can tell you because I was there with a lot of uh, creators and a lot of editors and a lot of people, you know, that were higher up in companies where everybody was like, comics are going to, you know, be done in a year, year and a half. Like everybody thought that was it. Yeah. Everything was going to go on comicsology. There was going to be no longer paper books. And, you know, luckily we... Again, we this industry thrived because we like stuff. We like tangible stuff. Yeah. It's cool. You know, I can go, you know, on and see an amazing fantasy 15 on the internet in the way I can make it my thing, you know, uh, uh saver and I can have all I can have it on my phone, I can have it anywhere I want. But I want to own one just because I want to say I own one of those books. Um, I got to sell a lot more naughty and nice and, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's part of the passion. And, and I'm always like, buy what you like. When people go, it's not worth it. That's too expensive. That's not worth what they're trying to sell it for. It's like, makes you happy. Who cares? You know, like, you know, buy what you like. And if you like it, then it's worth it to you. You know, I see see, you know, women, I'm blessed that my girl doesn't, but I see women going out buying two, $3,000 purses. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, but it makes me happy. So, you know, if, if, if they spend 3000 on a person, they're happy. Cool. Like it doesn't make sense to me, but if I tell them I just spend two or $3,000 on a comic book, they look at me like I'm freaking nuts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, we have fans who are very, for some reason, this industry more than any other I've ever seen. We're very like, if I don't like it, you shouldn't like it either. Instead of going, teach their own. Like, who cares? You know? And I always laugh. And people are like, these books are stupid. No, they don't buy it. You know? <laughs> the next person is like, this is awesome. I love this. This is a mashup of my favorite things. So... um. Yeah, I think the industry is in a good place. I I think uh, in in a weird way, I think uh, the pandemic has kind of made people um, understand that uh, the old ways um, don't work like they used to. Um, you know, uh, I think people understand now they have to connect um, online. You know, there's there's different there's different ways the old brick and mortar. You know. I get. I, I started learning that from uh, Andy, my fiance. Um, she's uh, 13 years younger than me, and you know when we first got together and stuff, I was like, "Oh, you want me to take you to the mall? I'll buy you, you know, a nice outfit or whatever." Um, and she go, "I'll take it, but I'll just order it online." Yeah. And I was like, "What? You don't want to go like to the mall and try it on and see how it fits?" And she's like, "No, it gets sent." you know, here and I'm at home and I try it on and if it fits, great. And if it doesn't, I just return it. And I was like, I was like that's foreign to me, but that's, you know, but I learned, like, I was like, you know, there's a generation that just wants stuff delivered to their door. Um, and, you know, you have to, a lot of retailers during the pandemic learned, like, you don't have any, any venue to sell your product. 
because you don't have the infrastructure if it's not your you know mom and pop shop your brick and mortar or if you don't have a table at a convention and it hurt a lot while other retailers i know made a killing because they already had the facebook groups and the live sales and the website and all that stuff so um in the pandemic kind of taught people um you know there's a new way people buy books there's you know they want to they want to get them at their house packed really nicely and perfectly mint condition and um you know, and if they see you at a show, great. But if not, you know what? Some facilitator somewhere is going to do going to be doing some, you know, signing uh, opportunity for you know their favorite creators, and they'll send their books in, and their books will get shipped back to them, whether they had it slapped or not, or um, whether it's raw. And uh, you know, just uh, understand that there's uh, people who just want it that way. I, I'm looking forward to conventions now because. Um, I want to go back to shows to make money. Um, I've been very fortunate um, how my business has gone in the last, you know, couple of years, including last year. Um, but I want to get out there. I actually enjoy meeting, you know, people and and uh, shaking hands, so to speak, and kissing the babies, you know. And uh, um, I've never kissed a baby unless it was somebody in my family. <laughs> very appropriate. Um, um, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy being around people. I enjoy being around other people in the industry, my friends, whether they're artists, creators, vendors that I've become buddies with, you know, retailers, whomever. Um, there's always going to be that, you know, but I think, uh, you have to understand that this industry is constantly evolving. And again, you know, uh, tell my, you know, uh, artist buddies who are like, I need to get into Marvel and DC, and I go for what? Well, that's you know, that's the top of your game. I'm like, how about I tell you this guy who's worked at DC for ten years what he makes, and this guy who's never been published by DC or Marvel, and what he makes. You know, not again. I I wanted to work for Marvel and DC. I got to do both. Um, it wasn't the career I ever imagined as a kid at the, either one of those companies, but, you know, I understood, like, you know, again, your path takes you different places, and and now the opportunities are so much more. You don't, you never have to work in Marvel or DC, um, you know, to be successful in this industry, and, uh, you know, so I think that's a good thing. I think, I think these, you know, um, crowdfunding is great. Um, obviously, you still you know, Peter Parker of it all, with great power comes great responsibility. When people give you their hard-earned money, yeah. deliver the product that you tell them you're going to deliver to them. Um, and uh, I think that'll stay strong as long as, you know, people do that. And and some of the bigger guys in the industry, um, that sector of it, section of it, um, they, they pride themselves on delivering the yeah. product in a timely manner. It's always going to be, you know, people who don't, um, and it's not always through bad intentions. I don't think they're like, I'm going to take people's money. But, you know, I, it's it's funny. A lot of times I wouldn't take people's money until I was finished with a commission because um, I know once the money's in my head, the desire to do it is gone. You know, there's nobody's whacking that carrot in front of me. So, um, you know, so... Uh, it's sometimes it's kind of like not what anybody's intended. Um, yeah, it's, I think the industry is in a good place. I think there's a lot of 
you know, ways, uh, revenue streams. I think there's a lot of great things. There's, there's uh, opportunities. There's, like I said, there's people who want to go get a collection, you know, just to have reader copies. There's people who want to upgrade their 7.0 to a 9.2 to a 9.6, you know. Um, so I think all that is good. We should appreciate all that stuff, even if you don't like it, even if you don't understand it, even if it doesn't speak to you, who cares, you know. Appreciate that these people are uh, helping the industry be healthy. So I think we're in a good place. Excellent. Hey, uh, it is uh, a little after 11 on the East Coast. And uh, oh, Z's. what's that? You guys need to catch a few Z's. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, this is where we usually wrap up. And But before we do, first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm honored and humbled to have been on the same live stream as you and to uh to learn from you um and uh, i think i can speak for all the silver liners not just the folks that are here tonight that we are very honored to have you on on one of our shows so i, I do want to say it's real weird uh even though i'm kind of quite in the producer role but going <laughs> going going from being the uh the the 10 year old kid who's as a as a back to school gift my dad got me x-force shadow star as a trade paperback Nice. And now I'm sitting here. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's very, That's very cool. cool. So, yes, thank you. But before we wrap up, uh, where can fo- folks find you and what you have going on right now? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, pitch it again. Yep. Awesome, amazing Mortal Kombat cosplay said You can find that at counterpointcomics.com. Um, I am on Facebook, Mariah Michaels. I'm on uh, Instagram, Ra1200, or Counterpoint Comics. We have both accounts on Instagram. And uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet, so following me would be a complete waste of your time. So, you know, don't do that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, and I'm readily available, and I try to, um, you know, interact as much as I can. You know, I try to answer people's questions and say hi back, uh, you know, um, and uh, I probably will not have a full-blown, uh, you know, messenger conversation with you, but I'll try to respond. You know. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Silverline Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.